Amen, amen. This is the day the Lord has made. The Bible tells us to do what? Rejoice and be glad in it. I would rather be here than anywhere else on planet Earth. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Every Sunday, for me, is special at Transformation Church. This is what? Just our sixth Sunday, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Our sixth Sunday. And every Sunday is special when we get to meet and worship. And I'm just going to tell you, as Pastor Matt just said, that was some special singing right there. It took me back to Brazil and other places I've been. You know, you come to sometimes large churches in America and we just, don't, we just kind of stand there. But when you go other places overseas where people know what the Lord rescued them from, I've said before, 10 Brazilians sound louder than 1,000 Americans. Y'all sounded like that this morning. Y'all were worshiping from your hearts. I know you weren't talking to me. I know that. You were singing to him, but it sure did bless me to get to hear it. But today is extra special because it's our first Palm Sunday together. Today will be our first Lord's Supper celebration together. It's our first biblical holiday together. Palm Sunday is straight from the scripture. Transformation Church, we exist to be a church where anybody can be transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ. We exist. If somebody asks you these questions, why do you exist? I say it every week because I want you to get it. And not until I get tired of saying it am I told that people finally start getting it. So I just need to keep saying it, and it drives me crazy. But I want you all to be able to say, when you're out in the community and you tell people, hey, I'm a part of a new church plant, why? Why do we need another church? We exist to be a church where anybody can be transformed by the truth of Jesus. And we exist to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, baptize, teach them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to, uh, uh, to fulfill the great commission, the greatest commission and the greatest commandments. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. And also to love our neighbor as ourself. I was sharing with Miss Katrina earlier. You know, as a church plant, only our sixth week, limited resources. We're just trying to get by. There's so much we want to do. We're kind of in that weird phase. You know, I want to do big community outreach. I want to get the community here. But... We're just not prepared for that, to minister to a whole lot of people. So it's kind of like having to put the brakes on and say, Lord, show us the baby steps we can take that don't cost a lot of money because we're in the pre-launch phase. Our main church launch is not until September the 11th. I spent much of yesterday texting, phone calls, emails, trying to get the word out. People are excited across the state of Georgia and other places about what God is doing here. They hear what you're doing. It's why I do those Facebook Live videos. Thank you for participating in that. Those get a lot of traction, actually. And it's encouraging for people who may never come here. In fact, the bulk of the money that we've raised for our pre-launch fund didn't come from Hall County. It's come from outside of here. Are we at what about... Anita, Matt, we have about 6,000 there in our pre-launch goal, six of 100,000, and we've not done heavy promotion. Not until yesterday did I start promoting that a lot outside. Pastor Matt and I will be traveling to meet with the, with the local pastor, not a, lo a local pastor in another church, and from middle Georgia, we're meeting for lunch this week. We're starting to get the word out. I talked to another prominent pastor last night who sent me an endorsement. We'll be, we're going to try to put out these endorsements about once a week of other pastors in other places who believe in what God is doing here and they're going to encourage other people to get on board. But we want to be a church where anybody can be transformed by the gospel of Christ. How are we going to do that? we got to give evidence of that. we got to be transformed people. we got to be walking, talking billboards of the transformation that only Jesus can make. And so that first Palm Sunday marked the beginning of the week that would change all of human history. 
You know what Jesus did on the cross in the empty tomb? It split time in two, B.C. and A.D. The events of Holy Week, as we call it, start to really fulfill and accelerate the fulfillment of the long-foretold prophecies of the Messiah who was to come. And, of course, we know that Messiah was Jesus. And as he rode into Palm Sunday there, on that first Palm Sunday, on that donkey, the people threw a giant celebration and a parade for him. What can we learn from that first Palm Sunday? How can we apply that to us here at Transformation Church? What does that first Palm Sunday mean for us even today? And how can we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper here in just a little while? So take your copy of Scripture. I didn't tell you where to turn to Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. And we will read the account there of that first Palm Sunday. Luke 19 verses 24, 29 through 44. A little bit longer than I usually read, but I want you to get the whole picture here. If you're there, go ahead and stand as we honor the reading of God's Word because it's not the preacher or the music. The power is in the Word of God. Luke 19, 29. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anybody asks why you untie that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. If Jesus says it, you can take it to the bank. Whatever he says is going to happen. Verse 33, and sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. That was good enough. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they'd seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Reminds me when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's what the angel said. Verse 39, but some of the Pharisees, those pseudo-religious phony people, some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. Now they're praising him. They're singing his praises, but he's saying you're going to be destroyed. Why? Verse 44, they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. They're like, we're praising you. Why are you telling us this stuff? And here's what he says, because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Father, we stand in amazement. I recognize that you visited us already today. I recognize, Father, that you visited us in our time of worship, our time of fellowship, as we sang about that amazing grace, as we sang about how my chains are gone and I've been set free. Lord, if there's anybody among us who just doesn't get it, they've never been set free by the power of your gospel. Anybody who will download this and listen to it on the World Wide Web later on, they're unsure that's ever happened to them. God, I pray you'd remind them that the events of that Holy Week happened for them as well. Thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Thank you that your word tells us you're not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance and faith in you. Lord, may that happen even this day is our prayer. We thank you that we can meet in a secular facility paid for by our tax dollars. 
where all kind of stuff's happened here in the last week. But we declare that today, Lord, we have authority over this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, we declare that Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord of this place today. And because of that, I pray you drive out any unholy host of hell that may have been present in the last week. And we declare this is a place for worship only of the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So you accomplish eternal stuff today. And we'll thank and praise you for it. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen, you can be seated. The verse we just read there, verse 35, is a direct fulfillment of one of the Old Testament prophecies from Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, where they promised that the Messiah, one of the ways you'd know he's really the Messiah, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. This was a time of amazing celebration. Devout Old Testament scholars, the devout Old Testament followers knew the truth of the prophecy that when we see this happen, that really is the Messiah. Had there been any doubt? I mean, they'd seen miracles. They'd heard about his virgin birth in Bethlehem. And now, I mean, everything is just lining up. This must be the Messiah. They've seen the miracles. He's riding in on the donkey. So they're worshiping him. They're praising him. But you know the rest of the story, don't you? Less than a week later, the very ones who were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. What gives? How does something change in such a short amount of time? It's like even today, people know what to say. We know how we're supposed to look, how we're supposed to talk, what we're supposed to do. But the reality of it, when the rubber meets the road, there's no evidence of being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We exist to be a church where anybody can be transformed by the truth of Jesus. If you want to be able to make it in the good times and the bad times, there must be that transformation. Otherwise, it's just emotionalism. You ever been a part of emotionalism? You know, and I don't put that down because God gave us those emotions, but as a youth pastor for so many years... It was almost predictable if you've been in youth ministry for a while. Been to, you almost knew every youth camp, okay, this person's going to rededicate their life. This person's going to say they nailed in their salvation. And I don't say that to be skeptical because there's nothing wrong with that. Thank God they get moved. And if they finally get it right and they're sure of their salvation, praise the Lord. But many times it doesn't last because we get caught up in the emotion. And I think that's what happened here on that first Palm Sunday. Some of the people just got caught up in the emotion of what was going to happen. Just two points for you today before we take the Lord's Supper. Number one, write this down. God expects transformed people. We're Transformation Church. We ought to be transformed people. God expects transformed people to be consistent and not casual. God expects transformed people to be consistent and not casual. I mean, they were saying all the right things. They were praising him. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is going, hey, to the Pharisees, you don't even recognize it's God. Jesus is God's personal expression of himself. They just saw him as some great miracle worker. You know, you can wear the Christian t-shirts. You can put the bumper sticker on your car. But when the rubber meets the road and things get difficult... Sometimes people have only been living by that emotionalism. It's why churches in the state of Georgia, I don't know about this week, but up until last week, an average of one Georgia Baptist church in the state of Georgia shut their doors every week of 2022. Every week of 2022. Why is that? I think maybe they'd taken their eyes off of the real focus of what Jesus requires of us to be true disciples. Maybe they lived by emotionalism. Maybe it's just a family country club and they wanted us four and no more. And when you do that, a church doesn't make it for the future. You know, two 
We got a lot of prayer requests for Transformation Church. But for me, two of the biggies were, I've asked God to give us a multi-ethnic church that looks like heaven. By the way, speaking of multi-ethnic, I was looking on my phone earlier. This Friday night at Free Chapel here in Gainesville, they're doing like a, a passion play. Well, all weekend long, but Friday night, my wife don't know this yet, but I'm going to plan to be there for that. One of the things I love about Free Chapel, do I have to agree with every bit of doctrine, every church in town? No. But I love worshiping at Free Chapel because it looks like heaven to me. There's people of every tribe and nation and every background and every ethnicity there. That's what we want Transformation Church to be. We want to be a church where anybody, regardless of skin color, income, or whatever, but your last name, anybody can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. If you're interested, maybe we can get together and go there this Friday night. But we want to be a multi-ethnic church. We're not there yet. But one of the prayer requests that God answered right off the bat for us, I want to be a multi-generational church. And God gave that to us immediately. The very first meeting we had at Tom and Anita's house, the very first informational meeting, we were just kind of talking about, is God leading us to plant a church? Is this what we're supposed to do? We had every decade represented from children up until, I said 70s, I was corrected until 80s. I didn't realize, it just, just hides it well that we have an 80-year-old among us. But every generation, so God answered that prayer right off the bat to be multi-generational and multi-ethnic. We want to be transformed because churches across the state are refusing to do that. They're refusing to adapt. They live by emotionalism. They live by tradition. In our text today, the people praised Jesus. And the text said, why? Because of the miracles. They'd heard that he raised the dead. He'd restored sight to the blind. He made lame people to walk. He'd done all those things. So they're praising him because this great miracle worker's come to town. And also because they thought, hey, this guy can be our political rescue. This guy can politically rescue us from Roman oppression. Their praise was measured by what Jesus could do for them. Let me say that again. Their praise was measured by what Jesus could do for them. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. So as they started to whisper and say words about him, it started to spread throughout the crowd. And it was all about me, 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 me. And so a few days later at his trial, the people that were praising him were saying, let's crucify him. It's not about what Jesus can do for me. It's so much like cultural Christianity in America today. And I ought to say, in quotes, cultural Christianity, because there's no such thing. It's either transformed life or it ain't real Christianity at all. But cultural Christianity in America, people want what we want. Again, Katrina and I were talking before church this morning. We only want people at Transformation Church that God has called to be here. We want to be a church where anybody can be transformed by the gospel of Jesus. But we're in that nucleus in the building block phases. We need a nucleus of strong, committed believers to help us prepare for the harvest we're asking God to give us come September in a church plants not for everybody. A church, and I know that, I knew that going into this, but can I just be a little transparent and real with you this morning? It's starting to get a little bit discouraging. I know what God's called us to do and where God, where God guides, He provides, but I'm hearing, oh, we, we want Sunday school. We want Sunday school too, but it takes people. To, we really want a good nursery. We want that too. We really want a good youth program. We want that too. People want to go and just sit and be fed, and they don't do anything to make that happen. We said we're church for, for pioneers, not for settlers. Now come September, we'll take some settlers. But right now, we need the pioneers to come in and blaze the, tra blaze the trail and cut down the trees and, and build up the church and, and reach the people. So it means right now, we don't have Sunday school. 
Right now we don't have that. Could we have Bible studies? Absolutely we can. Somebody says, hey, God put it on my heart. I want to lead a Bible study. Anita's meeting with some young ladies on Wednesday night. Just because it's not Sunday school didn't stop these girls from doing that. Yes, we can do that right now. But a church plant looks a little bit different. We hope, I was telling Blake this morning, hopefully by this summer we'll have four, five, six or more teenagers. I would love nothing more as a recycle youth pastor than to get together a group and take them to a youth camp. Now time's running out. Camps are filling up. But if we get a core of kids who want to go, this old guy will be glad to take them because there wasn't nobody to love youth camp more than this youth pastor did those years ago. So we're at, we want God to do all of those things. But I keep getting so many people say, well, we don't want to come because you don't have that. It's about me. It's about having my needs met. Thank God for you people. You didn't come here to have your needs met. But, but you also get the fact that when you serve the Lord, you are getting your needs met. There's no greater joy. Even Jesus, the Son of Man, didn't come to be served, but to be a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. So you pioneers, you get that as having your needs met by ministering, but you're not here for consumerism. I say every stinking week, the Lord reminds me, y'all passed some incredible churches to get here. Some of the greatest churches in the state of Georgia are in Hall County. And you went right past those to come here. I don't take that lightly or for granted. So I love and appreciate your sacrifice. But the people praise Jesus for what he could give them. And even now as we try to build this nucleus, I'm hearing a lot of that. On this Palm Sunday, I want to give Jesus my best. And here's the thing. When I give him my best... Emotions are awesome. He gave those to me. When the tears come, when the glory bumps come, and all, he gives us all of that when we lift up his name. Many of those who gathered to throw their coats and palm branches on the ground shouted the praises because it was the popular thing to do. To leave an established church and come to a church plant in a community center, it's not the popular thing to do. And it's not for everybody. Because listen, if people's hearts are not there, all they're going to do is come here and gripe and complain because we don't have all that. So they just might as well not come here until the Lord gets their heart right. It's not for everybody. I don't say that in judgment. Thank God for people who are plugged into established churches. They need established people there too. But the reality is most people in the average American church, they just want to sit there, look at the preacher and say, bless me if you can. Better than you have tried and failed. That's what most people are looking for in America today when God says, I want you to sacrifice what can we do to worship him in spirit and in truth to take us off of our blessed assurance and out of our comfort zones to serve him? So for just a brief moment there, it was the trendy thing to do to praise him. And just like flipping on a quarter, just like that, it went from praising him to we want Barabbas. They turned against Jesus, the God-man, to a murderer and said, we're going to reject him and we want Barabbas. When Jesus was bruised and beaten and disfigured, he didn't like much of a conquering king then. He didn't look like somebody who came to free them from Roman oppression then. Had they read all of their scripture, they would know it was foretold that that would happen to him. So sometimes the trendy thing to do is just follow the crowd. You know, you go to a church and things are going along great, and all of a sudden people decide, I don't like the worship. I don't like that worship pastor. I don't like that song. Well, understand, no song today was planned for you. Am I right about that? It was planned for him, not for you. So then people say, well, I ain't going there because I don't like the music. Well, I ain't going there because the preacher talks too fast and he sweats too much. I ain't going there because I've got too many allergy problems. And that stuff starts to spread and we start to attack. Well, the Sunday school teacher didn't speak to me. He didn't know my name. And we gripe and complain. And that stuff spreads like wildfire. It happened on the first Palm Sunday and it's still happening in churches across America today. It's a fast-growing cancer. 
We want to be transformed people who are consistent in our faith and not casual in our faith. When the chips are down and people are talking bad about you and things aren't going your way and you're struggling and you're struggling to pass that class, you're struggling to pay that bill, he's still the same God. He's on his throne and worthy of all of our praise. So we must accept and maintain that personal relationship with Jesus every day or guess what? I can go with the flow too and so can you. Any old jellyfish can go downstream, but it takes a fish with backbone to go against the flow and go upstream. And we do that by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So transform people. We are consistent in our faith and not casual. The second point, God expects transformed people to trust him in good times and bad times. I kind of already got ahead of myself and said that. God expects transformed people to trust him in good times and in bad times. We live in difficult times. And in my flesh sometimes, and God catches me and he rebukes me, I'm like, Lord, why now? Why did you call me to leave an established church and plant a church now when inflation is higher than it's ever been? Why did you call us to do this now when the cost of things are more ridiculous than they have ever, ever been? Why did you call us to do this right now when we could be on the, on the verge of World War III? You know, I look back at the greatest generation, both of my grandfathers who fought in World War II and how they sacrificed. Now ain't the time for World War III. We got people who need a safe space because somebody calls them the wrong pronoun and they want to cry and get their feelings hurt. I don't know that we're equipped for people to fight World War III right now. We live in a weird time when you see the horrors of what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, it's like we go about our daily business like this isn't happening. Have you read that they have marched tens of thousands of people into basically concentration camps, just like Auschwitz? Have any of you ever been? I've been to Auschwitz. I was physically sick before we left. I could feel the evil. The same stuff, they're marching them out of Ukraine into concentration camps in the world. We're just complaining about the price of gas and the price of bread. This is happening all over again. We are in the fourth quarter. God's given us the two-minute warning. Time is running out. We ain't got time to get caught up in emotionalism. We must be serious and consistent about our faith. So last Palm Sunday, could you imagine we'd be right here in a community center? Even Christmas, this past Christmas or New Year's, did anybody in here envision we'd be right here? Certainly not me. What changed? God didn't change. God just says, I want you to do a new thing. God says, I want you to get out of your bubble, get out of your comfort zone, stop coasting in your casual Christianity, Mike, and I want you to do a new thing. And so my prayer for my life, I mean, if I look statistically at my, my grandfathers, I've already outlived both of them. So chances are I'm in the fourth quarter of my life. I pray that the fourth quarter of my life will be the strongest quarter of my ministry that God gives me. So God's not surprised by the cost of bread or what's happening in the Ukraine or any of that. God's not changed. The world around us may have changed, but he has not. I love that song by, by Greater Vision that says, He'd still been God even if he'd never calmed a storm on a raging sea. He'd still be God even if he'd never caused a blinded eye to see. He'd still been God even if he'd never brought a crippled man to his feet. It's not about what he did. It's all about who he was because even if he'd never come and done a single miracle, Jesus would have still been God in the good times and the bad times. When your bank account is full and when it's empty. When you're passing the class and when you're not. When the car is running or it's in the garage. All those times he is still the same. So I got to get back to the text. Back to the text here. They're at the parade. It's trendy to praise the Lord. Everybody's doing it. At the trial later on to speak out for risky, to speak out for Jesus was risky. Could have cost you your life if you speak up for him then. What does the Bible say about the end times? I mean, we know what it says. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse in the end times. 
Are we living in a day and age in our lifetime that we could be jailed for preaching the gospel? It's not far-fetched. This happened right above the border in Canada. Have you seen that? Preachers jailed for preaching the gospel. Preachers jailed for daring to meet when the government says you can't meet. We're living. It's coming to America. I don't know why I don't see America in Bible prophecy. I don't know if it's because we're going to be irrelevant by then. doesn't mean we won't exist as a nation. I don't know. But for me, maybe you see it, but I don't see America playing into Bible prophecy. So what's going to happen to us? We've got to be willing to speak up for Jesus in good times and in bad times. Light shines brightest in the darkest places. I, was, I think you was talking to Claire Thursday night about your new job you have. You said you've never been at a job where it's mostly unchurched, unsaved people around you. Light shines brightest in the darkest places where God's putting me several days a week. And it's awesome to get to be there. Sometimes I know as ministers, and many of you are studying for ministry, we get in that bubble. And when you get in the bubble of ministry, you're trying to keep all the Christians happy and pat them on the head and meet all their needs, we, we get oblivious to the lost world around us. We get oblivious to what real life is for everybody else. I'm thankful that in this season of life, God's reminding me of what it's like for most of our people every single day. So when the storms of life come and we start to ask God why, why are things going not as good as I thought they'd go? Why don't we have 100 people here yet? Why don't we have 75 people here? I don't know, but he's still God. We're still going to do what he's called us to do. If our faith is based on changing circumstances, we're going to always be up and down, up and down. I want a faith that is consistent. When I'm on the mountaintop, I'm going to praise the Lord. When I'm in the valley, I'm going to praise the Lord. Because here's the reality. Either you're in a storm, you just came through one, or you're going to be headed to one soon. That's what the Bible says. So it's easy to praise God on a mountaintop. It's going to be easy to praise God at Free Chapel Passion Play Friday. Night. Easy to praise, praise God at a youth camp. Easy to praise God at a Karen Peck concert. But when the times are tough, is he still the same God or not? See, anybody can get caught up in the emotionalism of the crowd and praise him. But I think in the dark times, when people are watching you and they're saying, man, they ought to be, they ought to be down in the dumps. But there's still a joy about that person. Maybe there really is some truth to this transformation of the gospel. Genuine faith takes the good with the bad. And all we're ever promised is He'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. We're not promised always to be on the mountaintops. I love the mountaintops. I love times of preaching in foreign countries and seeing hundreds of people coming to Christ every time you give the gospel. I love mountaintops like a youth camp when I've seen so many students called to ministry, you know, called to give their life to Christ, called to missions. I love those. But if I charted my spiritual life up here on the wall for you, my spiritual growth. Now we like to think, okay, I got saved here at 15 and I've just been growing and growing ever since then. That's not real reality for most of us, is it? For most of us, it's kind of a lot like this. But the times that my faith has really grown were not the mountaintops. The times my faith has really grown have been in the valleys, when it's tough, when I don't know how we're going to make it to the next day, when I had no choice but to depend on the Lord. And the reality is that's every day. I mean, even the breath that we have to speak to somebody comes from Him. Even the praise in our heart comes from Him. So every day we're completely dependent on Him. But when things are tough, that's when we really dig in our heels and say, God, if you don't come through, I ain't going to make it. The reality is, if you're making straight A's and got a million dollars in the bank, you still ain't going to make it without the Lord. We ought to be just as dependent on Him every single day. God has strategically placed Transformation Church right here in this community of East Hall where we prayer walked, as we'll do again tonight at 6 o'clock. We meet to prayer walk the property some more and pray and ask God to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. He's placed us right here on purpose. True contentment comes when we accept God in the good times and the bad times. You know, I've, I've told you before, and I say this as a praise to God because Mike couldn't do it. 
I have cut my angina, my heart pain medicine in half in the last several months. Only God could do something like that, okay? It's a, it's a medical prescription. But when you're where God wants you to be and you're focusing on what God wants you to do and you know you're in the center of God's will, man, the, the stress just starts to melt away. So he says we ought to have a committed faith and not a casual faith. And I need to drink some water and let you talk to me. What are some marks of a committed faith? You talk to me. Tell me, how do you know somebody has a committed faith? Amen. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He didn't say, if you love me, you'll put a bumper sticker on your car, nothing wrong with that, or you'll carry a transformation cup. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Good. What else? How do you know somebody has a committed faith? We don't have Sunday schools. So we kind of do that in here. Joy, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That'll be evident in our life. And it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit. If I'm walking with the Lord, I got all of that in my life. The joy of the Lord. It's contagious. That worship, or I had to pull my phone out. It wasn't Facebook Live, but I videoed just a little bit of the worship because I want to be able to share that with people. This is what God is doing. That's contagious. I'd rather worship with this crowd than 200 dead, dead Baptists who can't get excited about the Lord. Joy of the Lord. What else is a sign of a committed faith? The daily life. The daily life. Good times, bad times, consistent. The daily life that we walk. What else? Yes, sir. You share it. We don't want to hog that. When you've got it, when we've been transformed, we exist to point other people to that transformation. If I could transform people, I'd do it. I can't, but I know a man who can, so we tell them about him. And Justin, you do it. I just learned about your Instagram and Facebook. You do that every single day, don't you? He puts out a great, if you don't follow him on Instagram, every single day, this guy is putting out the gospel every day. I commend you in the Lord for that, Justin. What's that? No glory to you. And that's why God's using it. Praise the Lord. And the international ministry there at Clarkston. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody else? Love for one another. Yes. No, we're Christians by our love. And as I've gone around and done these Facebook lives, it's one of the things so many of you keep saying. There's love here. There's acceptance here. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you come from. We just love each other. We're all on the same page. We're not here, again, we're not here to have our needs met. We're getting our needs met as we serve the Lord. But you people have a sacrificial heart out of your love for Jesus. And God's blessing that. And I never want to lose that. You know, even as we're a small group right now, if we're trusting God for 400 on September the 11th, I want that same love to be evident. I want that same spirit of worship and sacrifice to still be evident then. We will have lost people who come then who don't get it and don't understand it, but for the core of us, may we always be characterized by that. Anybody else? Hallelujah, there is forgiveness. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, I got to forgive others even as Christ has forgiven me. And if you... Or if you're a Christian more than about 10 minutes or a day, you're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to sin against you. And it's easy to nurse that and say, well, they were wrong. They shouldn't have done that. They were wrong. Yes, they were. But Ephesians says, such were some of you. Point it back at me. Because I've had to seek that forgiveness from the Lord. Who am I to withhold that from anybody else who sins against me? So we got to say, is our faith casual or is it committed? Good discussion, y'all. So let us remember this Palm Sunday as we approach Good Friday, the day that Jesus 
hung on that cross for our sins, when he died for our sins, past, present, and future, he deserves our total and complete commitment in the good times and the bad times. So as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, there's some things that we do. Everything we do ought to bring us awe. I think that was in one of the lines, something about his awe that we just sang earlier, that awe and reverence, really every time. But there's a couple of things that we do that really just kind of raise that for me. One of them, and I won't get off chasing this rabbit, is James 5 says, If any among you are sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint you and pray over you. Um, I've been able to do that several different times in my life. That's one of those humbling things ever because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we have done that, we've anointed people. And you say, that's weird. We're Baptists. It's in the Bible. Read, read your Bible. It's in there. I don't understand it. I don't understand what it is. But I, I had a former student who's a youth pastor. who some oil from Jerusalem. Doesn't say it has to be from Jerusalem. But I got some. And I just say, Lord, I don't understand this. But I'm just going to anoint just like you say. Man, the last church we served, I went through and I marked the oil over every doorpost and prayed spiritual warfare over that. God said, that's humbling when I've done that because the pressure is on the per not the person who's asking for healing, but it's the prayers of the righteous man. So I've got to make sure my heart's right before I do that. Same thing with the Lord's Supper. When we come to the Lord's table, there are churches where they do it once a quarter no matter what. I think we just need to do it when we need to do it. I don't want it to be a ritual. There are churches that do this every single Sunday. I'm not saying that's wrong, but for me, I want it to be extra special. I want it to be out of the ordinary, not something we do every day, because this, this is a big deal. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. I'm not examining you. And you're not examining me. We're examining ourselves right now. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he doesn't judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. Well, that's an old King James euphemism for dead. They died. And most of you heard me share the story before. I had a student who was far from the Lord. No doubt about this boy's salvation. Again, a youth camp. All the kids there got a burden to pray for Jonathan. Wept, prayed over him every night. I remember when Jonathan came walking up the walkway singing an old Carmen song and given his life to Jesus. His life was radically transformed and little by little took his eyes off the Lord. Skip a quiet time here, skip a quiet time there. He got kicked out of the Christian school that he went to. His parents put him in military school, got kicked out of military school. Drugs became such a problem his parents had to put him out of the house. He got a motorcycle. First time he ever rode that motorcycle. He was killed in an accident. I was in Moscow, Russia when it happened. All the kids with me had grown up from bed babies on with Jonathan. It rocked our world that that happened. But if you talk to Jonathan's mother, who some of you have met, they visited us here before. If you talk to his mother, she says, Mike, we were having the Lord's Supper at church one Sunday night, and Jonathan showed up. I was thrilled that he was at church. She said, but I watched as my boy took the Lord's Supper, and I knew his heart was not right. And she said, my blood turned cold. And that mom's testimony is, I believe God took him to heaven. We believe he's saved. I believe God took him to heaven because he took of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Is that a guarantee? No, nah, there'd be folks dropping dead all the time in church, I think. But there's just a sobering seriousness that we better examine our hearts. And I have great respect for anybody who just says, I'm not going to take it today. There's been at least one occasion in my life when I did not take the Lord's Supper. And I was on staff of a church. And I'm going through, people are looking at me, what are they going to think? I don't care what they thought. What God thought was more important to me. I was sideways with my daughter. I was upset with her about something. I had to go to my daughter at the invitation. We left out of there. I didn't take the Lord's Supper, and she didn't either, until we had to get some stuff right. 
So I have great respect for anybody who says, I don't need to take that today. The Lord's Supper is for born-again, baptized believers only. Uh, not baptized. Some churches say you have to be baptized. I, I think if you've been saved, you ought to be baptized. But I don't see in Scripture baptism is a requirement for the Lord's Supper, although a lot of churches teach that. Some churches teach you've got to be a member of the church to take the Lord's Supper. Well, we ain't got no members. We don't have membership yet, so we're just all believers in Jesus, okay? So if you know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, as long as God lets me pastor, I will always offer an invitation before the Lord's Supper to give people an opportunity to get your heart right. Do you know Christ as the Lord of your life? If you died five minutes ago, do you know beyond any doubt that you'd be in heaven right now? 1 John 5, 13, he says, These things have I written that you can know that you have eternal life. So number one, are you sure of your salvation? Number two, is everything okay between you and the Lord? If it's not, that's why we have an invitation. 1 John 1, 9 says, God allows you turns. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So this is a sobering seriousness to get things right. If your heart's not right, you're better off to abstain. Let's, 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 let's land this airplane, and then we'll have a time of invitation. Number one, does your life give evidence of being transformed? We're Transformation Church. Hopefully we'll soon have some T-shirts and bumper stickers and all that stuff. But most of all, does your life scream transformation? Our life ought to scream that even if our shirt doesn't scream that. Or are y'all not aware of the shirt if your life doesn't give evidence of that? Does your life give evidence of being transformed? Number two, how about you? Is your faith casual or committed? Now, it's an assumption on my part, but I'm assuming that you wouldn't be here if you had a casual faith. I'm assuming you wouldn't be a part of a church plant if your faith was casual. I'm just judging that on what I see, but only you know your heart. Only you and God know your heart. And that's number three. Is your heart prepared for the Lord's Supper? Is your heart prepared to take the Lord's Supper? And most of all, are you certain of your salvation? Are you certain of your salvation? If you're not, I wouldn't take the Lord's Supper. If there's some things you say, I just can't get right, listen, he's as close as the mention of his name. I think you can get that right. If it means you need to get something right between another person, commit in your heart right now that you will do that. Go ahead and commit you will do that. And then I believe you're free to take the Lord's Supper as long as you follow through on that commitment. Even if it means pulling out your phone and texting and saying, I need to talk to you later on. You do whatever you got to do, okay? No judgment, right? There's no condemnation at Transformation Church. You do whatever you need to do to get your heart right to take the Lord's Supper. So let's pray together.